welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Hello again, this is Pastor Derek, and I just wanted to jump in real quick before we get started on this week's installment of the Graceway Sermon Cast and give you as a listener kind of an update about what's going on in our season of transition in our ministry. Back in January, at the beginning of this year, uh, we decided as a church to begin joining in fellowship and holding uh, collaborative worship services with another church in our area, a church by the name of Living Hope Fellowship, where Chris Reber is the pastor. Uh, We have decided to do that through a season of transition within our ministry as we seek God's guidance for us in the next steps. And so over the course of that season, you're going to be hearing at times, Pastor Chris Reber will be bringing the message on our sermon cast, and then at other times you'll hear my voice along with some other guest speakers as well. Uh, So just wanted to let you know as a listener kind of what's going on. And so if you hear a different voice as you tune in, that's kind of what's going on. So I'm going to jump off of here and we'll get started with the message. So we are in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and Ephesians, of course, is, uh, we call it the book of Ephesians, but it actually is the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and um, he wrote to kind of address some things. One of those primary things that he wanted to address in this letter uh, to the church at Ephesus was the supremacy of Christ and the, um, the importance of Christ as it pertains to salvation. Uh, because in Ephesus, many people were kind of wrapped up in what they could do and how, uh, how faithful they were and wanted people to see just how righteous they were. And Paul wrote a letter and wanted to correct some of that a little bit. It's like, look, I appreciate your zeal and I appreciate uh, the fact that you want to be righteous in your life, but let's not lose sight of the fact that salvation is a gift, just like we talked about with our kids, that salvation is a gift that is given to us by the grace of God, that we don't, that we don't earn it. Um, and so that's why Paul writes this letter. And we've, we're continuing today, and we've reached message, chapter, uh, message number four in this uh, series that Pastor Chris uh, wanted to launch into uh, several weeks ago on the foundations of the faith. We've been looking at the vital truths that in the Christian faith we have to hold on to. Uh, they're kind of like the legs that hold up the table, all right? And, and if this one especially, if you take a leg out of this table, buddy, it's gone, right? There is no hope for it, right? But the legs that hold up the table are the foundation to the building because we have some, we have some things in the Word that are, um, are kind of second-tier issues that we can basically say, you know what, I may not see something exactly as you do, but it doesn't mean that you don't love Christ like I do. Uh, then there are some things, though, that are vitally important that if we, if we don't have an agreement on that, it begins to chip away at the strength and the foundation of the faith. And that's what we've been looking at for the past several weeks. And, 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 and I actually had uh, more than one conversation this week with somebody, and, and John, you were one of them this, uh, this week, where the question came up, why does it seem like Christians have so many different denominations, so many different flavors and so many different styles and all that stuff. And why can't churches just say we're a Christian church and we preach and worship Jesus? It seems like that would be the way that it needs to be, that we agree about Jesus and we all trust in Jesus Christ. But there's so many different viewpoints on so many different issues that we end up splitting off and over history we've split off and started our own, our own denomination or our own thoughts about things and says we're going to be the ones who actually know exactly what God wants us to know. 
A lot of times I think that, that Christians are guilty of building too many walls of division over those, like I said, those, those second-tier issues. But there are some truths that if you don't hold on to them, you can't really call yourself Christian, right? And those are some of the things that we've been talking about in this series. And uh, there's, we have to outline those truths that we need to understand to be faithful to the Christian faith. Because there's some things that if we change it, what the Word says, or if we say, I've got a different view on what the Word says here, we really begin to mess up the truth of God's word. And so in our series, we looked at, the very first one, we looked at we worship one God who exists in three persons, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives, right? And then, uh, then after that, we looked at this Bible, the word, that it is actually the word of God, that it is God-breathed to us, what God wants us to know, what he what is important for us to know about him and about his will for us, right? And that it was actually breathed by the Spirit of God into writers over the centuries and over the years that when they wrote it, it, it contained their personality, it contained their writing style, but it was actually what God wanted them to write. And so because of that, we can trust this as not being something that just some cool writer wrote that has had staying power. No, this is the Word of God. The Bible has one author, 40 writers, and it has lasted and it has forever settled in heaven. It is unchanging and it is authoritative that we can trust it, right? And it has to be a leg of the table. And then we looked at last week, Pastor Chris so eloquently looked at the fact that we're all, every one of us, are equalized by one common flaw, and that is the flaw of sin. That we are all sinners, every last one of us. And what have we tried to do ever since sin came in? We tried to point the finger and say, well, your sin is not as bad as my sin, so I'm a better sinner than you are, right? But really, that doesn't matter because all sin causes us to fall short of God's glory, and we need a Savior. Sin separates us from God, and so therefore, he sent his son. They called him Jesus, and because he lives, we can be redeemed, and we can face tomorrow. And we're going we're gonna to kind of continue on that thought today to look at this fourth leg of the table and that is also talking about salvation and that is the fact that we need to understand salvation how it came to be why we need it and where we can get it and how we can get it and really if you want just kind of the big idea the summary of this entire message all chopped up into one statement is this is that salvation is a gift of god alone that is offered through his grace alone and received through faith alone in Christ alone. See, man, that's a lot of alones. Yeah, right. Don't focus on the alones, but focus on it is the gift of God alone that is extended to us through his grace alone. That means we don't deserve it. And it is received through faith alone. I can't earn it in Christ alone, the only one who could. And that is a foundational understanding of the Christian faith. And while we've got two bodies, two independent bodies, or two independent churches that are, that are autonomous churches that are worshiping together, it's almost like we copied and pasted that faith statement from both churches. Why is that? Because this is a, a leg of the table. This is something that we must come to and we must understand. So here's the deal. That's the sermon basically in a sentence, so let's pack up and go home, right? That's basically all we need to know. No, we need to see how that fleshes out a little bit. I want to show you how that this is a cornerstone belief in Christianity, and it sets Christianity apart from all other faith systems in the world. There is no other faith system, there's no other religion that offers this kind of salvation, this path to God. 
in every other faith system, the path to God is you have to get on that path and you have to travel that path and it is up to you to stay on it. Only in Christianity does God develop the path, he creates the path, and he carries us and calls us to that path and carries us by his grace and mercy. It's also a cornerstone belief that determines whether a person who says they are a Christian is really a Christian. Because not everybody who says, I'm a Christian, is going to look at Jesus and say, it is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the foundational things that says whether we are truly a Christian or not. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 10. Um, we're going to really focus and we're going to kind of just, just tear this, this, this scripture apart and pick it apart and really get into it and understand what it means. We'll be looking at some other things, uh, other ones together as well. And I don't know why my Bible opened to John. I don't understand that. So hope, let me catch up here. All right. It says this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children that were placed under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Now, what I want you to do, if you mark in your Bible, if you highlight, you circle, you take notes, circle that word at the beginning of verse number four, but God. Circle those two words there. We're going to come back to those in a minute. He made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace, exclamation point. He also raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Holy Spirit, this morning I pray that you would captivate us by the truth of your word. I pray that uh, this word, which, which you tell us is our, is our spiritual food, it's our sustenance. May we, may we feast on this word today. May you feed us, may you call us, may you challenge us and guide us today through the truth of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. May you be glorified. Amen. I don't know how many of you are on social media, but there was a, a meme that was going around on Facebook and on Instagram and I think on Twitter a little bit this week that kind of caught my attention because I'm kind of a history buff. Anybody else a history buff in here? Okay. Uh, this meme that was going around, it was a picture of the Titanic that was going into the water. Anybody else see this? Anybody else see this? Maybe it's just me or a couple of people did. Um, it was a picture of the Titanic and as it was, as it was going down into the water. And the meme was basically trying to bring us to a spiritual understanding uh, of, of what happened there on the Titanic. It said this, that when the HMS Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage as the world's grandest and most indestructible vessel, its passenger manifest was vast in its diversity and it truly represented the wide range of the human station. You had first class, second class, servant class. You had the captain's class. You had steerage class because the ship carried extremely wealthy people who were looking for the experience of finally being aboard the most luxurious ship in history. They were highly successful people looking to ex maybe expand their business across the Atlantic. There were also people who were world famous in entertainment and in politics and in banking. Then there were also poor people who had spent their very last shilling 
to board a ship that promised a new start in a better place. There were also, compared to them, highly educated people that were traveling just to learn more about the world, also sitting right there with illiterate people, barely able to communicate with others aboard the ship. It was truly a melting pot of cultures and socioeconomic statuses, and all of them were clamoring from what, for one thing. I want to be aboard the great Titanic. This manifest, like I said, it's, it contains several classifications to indicate this variety of people. The captain and crew, the first class, the second class, third class, and steerage. But just a few hours after the Titanic sank in the icy waters off the Atlantic, a new manifest was created and posted in the Cunard office of the New York shipyard in New York Harbor. That list no longer included first and second class and third class. It only included two classes of people, those who were lost and those who were saved. It's kind of a reminder to us that this is how God views humanity. We like to break down and stereotype and put people in classifications because sometimes maybe it's easier or whatever it may be, but God really only sees humanity in one of two categories. You are either lost without him or you are saved by his son. And that's it. And, and, and three seconds, three milliseconds after we breathe our last breath, the only thing that's going to matter is not how much money we made, not where we lived, not how many people we influenced, not how much power, not how many times we show up in the history books. The only thing that's going to matter three milliseconds after we draw our last breath is, are you lost or are you saved? And what makes all the difference in that question is Jesus Christ and whether we have that gift of salvation. See, this is how we have to remember that church sees humanity. And church, I believe that as the embassy of heaven, as, as, as just a little bit of heaven here on earth, this is how we have to see people too. We can't get caught up in all the stuff of, of the politics of the day and, and trying to put everybody into different classes. We have to understand that it doesn't matter who you are. Man, woman, boy, girl, black, white, red, yellow, whatever. Democrat, Republican, UK fan, Cardinal fan, whatever. It doesn't matter. You're either saved or you're lost. And that's all that's going to matter for eternity. For 70 years or so, all kinds of other things seem to matter. But for eternity, that's a lot longer than 70 years. The only thing that's going to matter is lost or saved. So we're in a culture that is obsessed with identity, right? We hang our identity on so many different things. So many different things. We even hang our identity on the brands of shoes we wear. Poor guy back here is going to burn his shoes when he found out an old man was wearing the same brand of shoes. <laughs> the only identity that matters is am I in Jesus Christ or am I outside? So today what I want to do, I want to look at about four questions that we often have about salvation and that many people who were lost, whether they're lost or whether they're actually saved, we need to either be informed of this or we need to be reminded about salvation because we lose sight and we lose focus on what really matters in the grand scheme of things. So I'm just going to look at four basic questions that we ask sometimes about salvation. And I hear this either from saved people or from lost people. The first question is this, why do we need to be concerned with salvation to begin with? Why is it so important? Pastor, why are you up here so passionately saying the only thing that matters is whether you're saved or whether you're lost? Because for me, I think that paying my mortgage is pretty important right now so I don't get put on the street or paying my water bill or my electric bill and I don't have the money to pay that. And I want to encourage you <laughs> that God provides our needs, but the most important need we have is, what, is whether we are saved or whether we are lost. It's the most important thing. So why do I need to be concerned with salvation? It's because it is so important. Like I said just a second ago, the only concern that truly matters 
lives in the grand scheme of eternity. 70 to 80 years of life, 90 if you're really healthy. Some people live into the hundreds and are miserable. And then eternity after that. So I, I truly believe, like I said, once we draw our final breath, the only thing that's going to matter is what did you do for eternity? Jesus said this. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, right? He says, lay up treasures in heaven, right? Because everything else is just going to be corrupted because this earth is corruptible. Once we stand before God, I don't think any of us are going to say, you know what, man, I just, I just wish I'd watch, I, I binged a couple more shows on Netflix before I got up here. I don't think we're going to be doing that. And I don't think we're going to be saying, man, I just, mm, I wish I had just a couple more parties to hang out with my friends. No, I think what we're going to say is, I wish I'd spent more time in the Word. And I, I would say, I, I wish I'd spent more time talking to my friends about whether they're prepared to stand where I am one day. That's what's going to matter for eternity. See, we're all hopelessly lost. This is why it's so important, because we're all hopelessly lost without salvation. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, For we have all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Here's a real deep, seminary-based theological exegesis of the word all. All means all, and that's all all means, right? That means every one of us have sinned. And, 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 and no matter, we sit in church and we shake our heads yes, and we amen that because it's really spiritual. We know that's one of those places where we need to amen, but we constantly are more offended by other people's sins than we are by our own, aren't we? Like, I get more concerned by somebody else's sins, or I get more offended by that than I'm offended by my own, because I'll justify my sins to the hill, right? But I, I, I give no justification to somebody else's. We have all sinned, and we all have fallen short of the glory of God. And Pastor Chris hit this point really hard last week, that sin is the great equalizer. Rich, poor, doesn't matter what classifications we fall in, all of us have this same problem, that we're all sinners, and we all need a Savior. And verses 1 through 3 of our text begins to describe just what it looks like to be in sin and what it produces. The first thing it produces is that we're all dead. Look at verse number 1 again. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. See, we weren't, it doesn't say we weren't just in trouble or we were in a tough spot because of our sin. It says we're dead. And dead people have no hope, right? See, the only hope that you can have for the dead is resurrection. There's no other hope. Right? It doesn't matter. Like, you, you can look at a dead person and say, you know what, maybe if we dress them up, they'll, just, they'll come back to life. No, the only hope for a dead person is resurrection. It doesn't matter how good we make them look, how good we make them smell, how well we talk about them at their funeral, a dead person is still dead. And spiritually speaking, the Bible says we are born dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And because of that, we're not only dead, and here's the thing, we're worse than dead. We're not just dead, but we're enslaved in our death to sin. Look at verse number 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. Who's the ruler of the power of the air? That's Satan. The spirit that is now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. It's telling us that we're living in obedience to Satan and to the flesh, rather than living in obedience to God and the Spirit. And we're not just living in obedience. We are living in obedience many times by our choice, but that choice is dictated by the fact that we are slaves to sin because we're dead in sin. We don't know any better. It's that depravity that Pastor Chris was talking about last week. 
that we're dead and we need him. And because that we're enslaved to sin, we all live in condemnation and we deserve nothing but God's wrath. Look what it says in the last part of that verse. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Say, wow, thank you for this uplifting, positive, affirming message today, right? Let me go further. Romans 6 tells us that we, what we have earned by our sin is condemnation. It has earned us death. And can you think of anything more hopeless described than here in verses 1 through 3, right? Look, we are dead with no hope. The only hope for the dead is resurrection. There's no, there's no degrees of dead, right? We were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school. Anybody ever seen the movie Princess Bride? Yeah. He's not dead. He's only mostly dead, right? There's no only mostly dead here. This is not what Paul is talking about. He said we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are all walking spiritual zombies. So why do I need to be concerned with salvation? Because even though it may not look like it on the outside, without salvation, we are hopeless. And it's only a matter of time before our living bodies catch up with our dead souls. It's only a matter of time. And we don't get a say over when that actually happens. We don't get a say over when that last breath is drawn. That's the urgency behind this truth. We're all hopeless, and we're all hopelessly hurtling towards a meeting with God where he's going to ask, lost or saved? Which one? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 backs this up completely when it says the wages of our sin is death. Everybody feel good about themselves today here in church? Anybody feel good? All right, well, that's the, and if that's the end of the story, you'd be right, man. This is, this is a hopeless message. But let's look at the second question. Why do I need salvation? Because I need it desperately. I need it like... I need it more than I need any. I need it more than I need the very next breath, but I need it before the very next breath. The second question is, what does salvation actually do? Why, is, if, so, if salvation is so important, what is it actually going to do for me? Because we live in America, right? We're the consumers of the consumers. We don't want it unless it's a good deal. Well, let me tell you how good of a deal salvation really is. You notice that verses one through three are all spoken of in the past tense. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You did walk. Why? Because he's talking to the church, the church that's been redeemed, that is no longer dead, that is no longer enslaved, that is no longer hopeless. Why? Because of salvation. Let's look at verses four, and six, four through six. See, salvation, and here's this, if you take notes or someone want to write this down, salvation addresses every hopeless condition that sin creates. Salvation in Christ addresses and defeats every hopeless situation that sin creates and then some. See, salvation brings us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. Look at verse number five. It says, he made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. See, just a minute ago, I only gave you the first half of Romans 6, 23, which says, but the wages of sin is death. Here's the last half. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has given us a gift, and that is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a truth that flies in the face of all of our humanistic, pluralistic ideas in our society today. You see, our social mindset says this. Everyone is born inherently good, and they're only corrupted by culture around them. That's, that's the way we are taught to think. We're, we're, core, we're taught, thought, taught to think that at our core, that no one has wrong inside them at first. 
It's only because they're corrupted by bad morals along the way. So the idea is if I change the morals and, and, and we take these perfect beings and let them grow up in a perfect society, they will then be perfect products. But that's not what salvation says, and that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says we were born dead and we were born sinners in need of a Savior. It doesn't matter what utopian society you grow up in. If you are born without Christ and you die without Christ, you are a sinner without a Savior. So salvation gives us an eternal place in heaven. Not only does it address our spiritual death and change us into spiritual life, but it also gives us an eternal place in heaven with with Christ. Look at verse number 6. It says, He has also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. See, 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 this is what we were addressing earlier with being under the power of the prince of the air of Satan. Now we are under the power of Christ. And we have been brought and elevated from the status of being sinners and orphans to now being born into the family of God and elevated as joint heirs with Christ in eternity. This is what salvation is done for us. Don't miss this. Salvation makes those who only deserve death in hell fit for eternity in heaven. All we deserve is eternal death in hell. But because of Christ, we have now been made fit for eternity in heaven. It's like if you were trying to get into the most prestigious club in wherever you, whatever city you want to live in. And you know, man, I can't get in there. But you all of a sudden, you know somebody that's famous and they, you, they say, you know what, they're with me. And they say, as long as you're with him, you can go on in. This is the way heaven is. As long as we're with Jesus, we're fit for heaven. But without him, we can't approach. See, salvation gives us an eternal place in heaven, but salvation also grants us. See, that's not it. That's not, that's not all of it, Right? Say, oh man, you mean I'm brought from spiritual death to spiritual life? I'm given a place in heaven? Yeah, but also, guess what else you're given? You're given unending grace and the presence of God as you live this life too. Look at verse number seven. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So it's important to understand that salvation is eternal. It's not like a new pair of shoes that you get and it's great at first, but as you wear it, you step in some mud or you wear the shoes out and then you got to go get new shoes. You got to update your shoes. No, salvation is just as new and fresh on the very last day of eternity, which won't happen, by the way, as it is the very moment you receive it. What that means is we are, and this is an important doctrine of the church, we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. That once I am saved, I am saved forever. Once we come to Jesus Christ and we are born into his family, There is no separating us. There is no divorce with Christ. Once we are saved, we are always saved. Even if you want to get out, you can't because you're sealed in heaven. It's harder to get out of than the mob. All right? Some of you will get that a little bit later. See, once we were on team death, but now we've been restored in God, and now we are eternal in him. See, salvation changes everything forever. Here's what Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says. Here's what the change looked like. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What it meant was, we used to live under condemnation, under impending doom, impending wrath. 
worried about the physical death that would come, but it says that now there is no condemnation for those in Christ. In our language, it kind of loses a little bit of power. What this, when you look at the original language, it means no, none, nada, zip, zero, zilch. Like it's, a, it's an infinitive no, absolutely none. No speck of condemnation on our record for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in verse number 10, when found, now that we're not condemned, look what it says here, because it tells us that salvation is going to restore God's original design for us. Look at verse number 10. It says, we are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. All of a sudden, now that sin and death and condemnation have been dealt with through Jesus Christ, what God originally created man to be, what God originally created us for, to glorify him and to be his workmanship and a vessel for his honor and glory, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it's restored now. That I don't have to live my life wondering, am I going to make it? Am I good enough? Because the answer is, no, you're not good enough. But in Jesus, you've been made fit. Now you can get back to the purpose that I created you and put you here for, and that is to glorify me. We are his workmanship. See, once we were on team death, and now we've been restored to what God originally intended, a vessel to bring him glory and honor. So why is salvation so important? Because every one of us need it more than we need anything else. And why, and why is salvation so good? Because it restores everything that sin destroyed. And then the third question that we look at is, where does salvation come from? How can something this, this great be? How, where can this come from? Because there's nothing else like it replicated in the world. Nothing. You can't replicate the beauty of salvation anywhere else in the world except for from the hand of God. So where does salvation come from? And this is where we got to go back up to verse number four. Remember when I said for you to circle those two words? Just six letters divided by space, but God, right? That, to me, is the most exciting conjunction in all of human history, right? Because it connects verses one through three, death, destruction, condemnation, judgment. And then it says, but God. And when God inserts himself into your darkness, it totally changes everything, right? When God inserts himself and interjects himself into the scenario, it changes everything. Because look at verses four through six, what, comes on, what hangs on that conjunction. You go from death to life. You go from enslavement to liberty. You go, from, you go from judgment and condemnation to no condemnation and full pardon. Why? Because of God. Where does salvation come from? It can only come from God. Look at verse number four. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. So what we have to understand but God means that salvation comes from God alone. It's completely his design. See, when you and I had sinned and we'd all turned our backs, when you and I were hopelessly lost, when you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, when you and I were busy serving the flesh and racking up nothing but death and darkness, like verse number one through three says, when you and I were completely guilty of all of it and we deserved nothing but wrath and God's judgment, and when you and I were down for the count with no way up, what does it say? But Salvation came from God, designed by God, because only God could grant creation. Only God could grant creation salvation. It was his creation that was messed up by sin. It was his design of holiness that was poisoned by our sin. And so only he could be the one to rectify it. 
It's completely God's design, and it's also completely compelled by his mercy and love. Look beyond but God. But God is what? He is rich in mercy. Because of what? Because of his great love. His great love for who? For us. What compelled God to give salvation? So we could tell this great story and just brag on God all the time? That's part of it. That's what the redeemed are supposed to do. But what was it originally? His love for us. His love for us. When we had done nothing lovable. Nothing. He loved us. This is why the Bible tells us we love him because he what? He first loved us. Listen, any act of love or any emotion of love that you turn towards God, he's already loved you first. It's always in response to his love for us. That also means there's nothing that I can do to knock God's socks off. There's nothing that I can do to make him love me more. And that also means there's nothing that I can do that will make him love me less. His love is just infinite and the same amount at all times. Salvation is God's great design to greatly redeem his great human creation, which was otherwise in great hopelessness without his great mercy. And it's his design, it's only his design, and then it's also completely provided by Jesus. Verse number five again says, because of his love for us, what did he do? He made us alive with who? With Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses. We are made alive with Christ. All of this salvation, this redemption, this eternal life, all of it is provided by him. See, God designed salvation's plan. Jesus carried out salvation's plan. God designed it. Jesus carried it out. And it's through him alone that we have all of it. Remember back in the garden when Jesus was praying with God and he said, Lord, if it's your will that I shouldn't have to go through this, let this cup pass for me. What Jesus is saying, hey, you know, uh, I can see the cross. I can almost hear it being, being nailed together for me and it's coming real quick. If you've got any other ideas, any other way that this could be taken care of, any other way for your plan to be carried out, I'd really like not to have to go to the cross. But God said it's the only way. And Jesus said, I will be obedient unto death, as Ephesians says, even the death on the cross. Why? Because he saw the future glory that laid before him. He saw our redemption that laid before him, and he chose to go to the cross so we could have eternal life. Did we deserve it? No. Did any of us at that point even ask him to do it? No. But he knew we needed it. So he went. All the benefits of salvation that we look at in our text are tied to and they are anchored in Jesus. The fact that verse number five says we are alive, we are alive because we are in Christ. The fact that we are raised up, we are raised up because we are raised up with Christ. We are seated in heaven, guess what? In Christ in verse number six. We have all the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness to us through who? Through who? Through Christ, right? Our only purpose in verse number 10 is redeemed in Christ. Christ. We are his workmanship created in who? Christ Jesus. It's only available because God is completely gracious and because Jesus completely provided everything. And God is completely gracious. Church, look at verse number five again, the latter part. You are saved by grace. Salvation has been explained and, and, and defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace is simply the good that I have no business having. If I, this is what we do when we give a gift. I give something that really, that really I, I completely covered all of it. You did nothing other than exist, and I love you, and I want you to have this, right? This is what God did. He gave us his graciousness. See, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, and this is exactly what we see here. All of those wonderful benefits of salvation, being raised from death to life, being seated with Christ, all of it came because God paid the price of his son. We speak of salvation as a free gift. Oh, it's free to us, but it cost God the Father everything. Everything. He bankrupted heaven of grace to send Jesus here to the cross so that we could have heaven. He did it all. He gave his son to die to pay our debt. So we've answered these three questions this far, right? Why, why is salvation important? What's so good about it? Where do I, or who, get, who offered it? And now lastly, how do I get this salvation? So we've only looked at 10 verses in Ephesians this morning, but since the beginning of the book, Paul's been building this case. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he's been building his case leading toward answering this one vital question of how do I get salvation? And we see the answer in verses 8 through 9. Here's what it says. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It is not from your works so that no one can boast. See, Paul's conclusion to this whole argument teaches us two important things that we have to know. Number one, if I'm going to get salvation, I have to know this. I can't earn it. I can't earn it. I, 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 I just can't power through and say, I want it. I'm going to go get it on my own. No, I have to fall on the mercy of God. Look what it says here. It says, you are saved by grace. That means God gave it to me, and I don't deserve it. He says, it is not of yourselves. I couldn't design it because God designed it. I couldn't imagine it, and I can't grasp it. You know how we know this? Because look at all of the other religious systems in the world. In every other religious system that are, by the way, man-made, every other religious system, the only thing that man could contrive is, I will sacrifice and do enough to earn this God's attention to satisfy and appease him. But only in Christianity do we find that God made the sacrifice. God made, the, God did the suffering. God satisfied the debt. I can't do it of myself. And he says, it's not of my works. There's no amount of good that I can do to earn perfection that is required for salvation. It is God's gift. Why? And it could only be God's gift because salvation is something that is of heaven. It's not of earth. Salvation is something that is of God. It's not of human capacity. And you and I don't possess the currency for that gift, to purchase that gift. See, my daughter Natalie, she's, she's 17, and she gets to go in a couple of weeks on a choir trip, a tour of, of Austria, and, and, and over there in the, the, that area. She's not only going to go to Austria, but she's also going to go into, um, into the Czech Republic as well. And so what we found out at the meeting last night is not only does she have to have like, you know, American dollars for when she's traveling over, she also needs euros for when she's in Austria, but then she's also going to need Czech crowns because uh, the Czech Republic is not part of the European Union financial system. So she's going to have to have three currencies when she goes over there. Why is that? Now, let's say that as they leave from Austria and get on a train and go over to, uh, to the Czech Republic, she pays for the ticket you know, for, to get into the Czech Republic with her, um, uh, with her euros, 
But as she's over to the Czech Republic and she's getting ready, she goes into a souvenir store and she wants to buy a souvenir for her dad because she loves him so, so much. She's like, Dad would love this, what I'm going to get him. And she goes and she takes it to the counter and she lays it down and the clerk says, that'll be 10,000 crowns. And she looks into her wallet and she has only dollars and euros. The person at the counter says, I'm sorry, you don't have the right currency for that. But she says, but I've got, I, got, I got all this money, I got all these dollars, I got, I got all these euros, it's got to be worth something. And they're like, not in the Czech Republic, it's not. In the Czech Republic, you have zero. See, this is what we have to understand about salvation. Salvation is of heaven, therefore, we cannot use things of earth to purchase it, Right? It doesn't work. My good works, my, all the knowledge that I have and possess in me, even though I'm a really good person, I may even know everything the Bible says and follow everything that it says, but if I haven't got the blood of Jesus, which is the only currency of forgiveness, covering me, I have nothing. I have nothing. You and I don't possess what is needed in order for salvation. We can't work our way there. So God says, you can't get this on your own, so I offer it to you as a gift. Isn't that beautiful? You can't get this on your own, so I'm going to offer it to you as a gift. You can't earn this salvation, but there's something you must do with salvation. And that's the second thing, and this is what we have to understand before we wrap up and we're finished. I can't earn salvation, so how do I get it? I have to receive it. Just like with any other gift, I have to receive that salvation. Just like we couldn't play with our Legos, just like if we, if, we, if we open that gift and never used it, it's not really a gift. I don't enjoy it. It's worth nothing to me if I don't enjoy it and I don't receive it, right? A gift must be received to be enjoyed. Let's go back to the Prague, let's go back to the Prague train station for just a second with Natalie. And let's say that she's not just trying to buy a souvenir, but she all of a sudden realizes, oh my gosh, the train back to Austria to meet my group is getting ready to leave, and I only bought a one-way ticket in, and now i got to buy a ticket to get back into Austria, but oh my goodness, I don't have the crowns that I need. She's stranded. She has no hope. But let's say, and at that point, if that happens, and I really hope it doesn't happen, but at that point, if that happens, I hope her choir director steps over and says, I was prepared for this, so I brought some extra crowns to cover some of these students who might not have what they need. This is what Jesus did for us. So he lays the money down and he buys the ticket. But let's say that Natalie, in all of her principle of independence, says, no, I'll figure it out myself. What's going to happen? The train's going to leave and she's going to be stuck. She has the ticket in her hand, but she won't hand it to the conductor. She won't get on the train. Why? We don't know why. She's a teenager. Happens every day. I always ask. <laughs> Glad she's not here today, by the way. She's watching. I'm in trouble later. Anyway, this is what so many people do with salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he punched the ticket. It's, it, was, it was for all who would believe. But we must believe. It is by grace that you are saved. You don't deserve it, but you must receive it by faith. Faith is the only currency of forgiveness now. Faith in Jesus Christ is what applies the currency of forgiveness. You are saved by grace through faith. We receive the gift of salvation by faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, and this is how we will end today. 
says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and go to church for the rest of your life, which you should. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and become a faithful tither and never miss a week of tithing for the rest of your life. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and do everything the book says every single time. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And I love this. Verse 13, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. That goes ahead and takes care of that lest any man should boast part of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? It's not of works. It's not of works. You may have a huge spiritual resume, but if Jesus Christ is not your salvation reference, it means nothing. So as we bow our heads and we close our eyes this morning and we move into a time of response, I just want to ask you a question. Which passenger list are you on? Lost or saved? This is our belief that salvation is a gift of God alone through his grace alone and we receive it through faith alone in Christ alone. Does that describe what you are letting your eternity rest on? Is that a description? If I were to ask you, do you know for sure if you are saved, are you going to heaven? What answer would you give as to why? Is it because, well, I've, I've just been a Christian my whole life. I was raised in a Christian home. It's all I've ever known. It's just the way I am. That doesn't do it. It, must be, it can't be a historical faith based on someone else. It must be a personal faith that you've placed in Christ yourself. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you put your faith in Him? Have you done that? And if you have not done that, please, today, would you come today to do that? As our, our band goes ahead and comes and gets ready for the time of invitation, this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. How are you trying to get to the Father? If it's through anyone but Jesus, you're going the wrong way. And I know a good number of you. I'm getting to know more of you. I just need to ask this question. Do you know that you know that you know? Because you know in your heart of hearts with faith in Christ alone that Jesus is your Savior. If not, let, that, let today be the day that you trust Him. The Bible says the way that we come to Christ is we call on him like Romans says, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved and call on him. And anyone may call. You may be sitting there thinking right now, you, that's a great message for all, all, you, all you church people, but I'm not really like that. I got a past or I got some things in my closet that would make anyone blush. Jesus died on the cross for people's sins, but my sins were too many. If that's the case, his blood's not good enough to cover anyone. See, because Jesus didn't just come to make good people better. He came to make dead people live. So if you don't know him, let today be the day. Father, I pray that this morning. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about his grace. 
If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.